0: morning everyone and welcome to morning worship on this second sunday of advent it's lovely to see you all a very special welcome to our friend the reverend francis bloomfield who will be leading our worship this morning it's great to have you back at hillhead francis thank you well hello it's absolutely lovely uh, to be back with you i think it's a year since i've been here and it's my pleasure to come back and be with you this morning, leading you in worship on this, our second Sunday of Advent. I wonder if I could call us to worship by doing a responsive call to worship by someone called Phil White. It's quite a modern one, and I think it's very suitable for the second Sunday in Advent. I'm going to read the parts that are in light script on your order of service, and would you join me and read the bold script let 's come together this morning in worship, where crooked road roads need straightening Prepare the way for the Lord. where people walk in darkness Prepare the way for the Lord. where busy lives need stilling Prepare the way for the Lord. where minds are full of tinsel, presents and parties. Prepare the way And now, in this place and among your people gathered into this broken world we call planet earth, into this busy place that we call home, into this fragile group of your people, into cold hearts and dulled minds where there is no peace where people shout in the wilderness where people walk in darkness O come Lord Jesus and help us find room for you in our hearts I'm going to pray now for all of us. And then at the end, I'll invite you to say the Lord's Prayer with me. Can I mention something about the Lord's Prayer before we do so? So, In this last week, I just felt the Holy Spirit quickening me about the words. Now, I use debts. I think you use trespassers. But the words where we ask the Lord to forgive us as we Forgive others. And I just wanted to say that forgiveness is a real process sometimes. And I wonder today, as an expression of the body of Christ. Together, we can, as we say the words we normally say without saying something different, have a sense of upholding those of our number. And there will be, as happens to us all from time to time, where we go through something, where we have a process of forgiveness. So let's lift our brothers and sisters who might be struggling with this process of asking God for forgiveness as they forgive others who may have hurt them. That'd be okay. Let's pray together. I'm going to start. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and for this place. No matter how we ourselves are feeling this morning, warm or cold, happy or sad, no matter what kind of week we've just had, good or bad, we know and can sense that you are here, the same yesterday, today and forever. The one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z of everything. The one to whom all things are known, and the one who loves each one of us with an everlasting love. Thank you that there is no problem that's too big, nor any that it's too small, but you know about it already. You're interested in each and every aspect of our lives. And if we're feeling weighed down by something this morning, help us... To let it slip from our shoulders, even if only for this quiet hour. And as we sit in silence just now, help us to bring our sorries and our sorrows to you in the quietness of our hearts. And help us rise up, knowing that in you there's forgiveness for all our wrongdoings and balm for all our hurts, whatever they may be. And that in you we can find release and freedom to worship together with our brothers and sisters this morning. Thank you too that even though the world around in our news reports, on our television screens, may seem chaotic, whether it's the weather or wars or poverty, debt, crime, or violence of any kind, you are still God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And together, as your children and joint heirs with your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we now declare our faith by saying the prayer that your Son taught his first disciples, saying, Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom and come, and thy will be done on earth, earth as it is in heaven. Is Give us to our day our daily bread. bread our trespasses,
1: as do you forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. We have two lessons as our scripture readings this morning, both in the New Testament. The first in Luke chapter 3. And we're going to read the first six verses together. It's an introduction to the preaching of John the Baptist. In the 15th year of the rule of the Emperor Tiberius, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip was the ruler of the territory of Ituria and Traconitis. It sounds like a disease, doesn't it? <laughs> Lysanias was the ruler of Abilene, and Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. At that time, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. So John went throughout the whole territory of the River Jordan, preaching. Turn away from your sins and be baptized, and God will forgive your sins. As it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah, Someone is shouting in the desert, get the road ready for the Lord, make a straight path for him to travel. Every valley must be filled up, every hill and mountain leveled off. The winding roads must must be made straight and the rough paths be made smooth. The whole human race will see God's salvation. Second lesson... Is from the second epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and we begin the reading at verse 17 of chapter 5. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5. Anyone who is joined to Christ is a new being. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends, and gave us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God was making the whole human race his friends through Christ. God did not keep us, God did not keep an account of their sins, but he has given us the message which tells how he makes them his friends friends. Amen. Here ends the list.
0: When Anne invited me to come this morning and preach to you, she told me that your congregation were following the lectionary and that the reading was the first time that we just heard read to us Luke 3, 1 to 6. She also told me that the title was Prepare to Change. Now, I really was delighted to come, but when I heard that, I actually went, oh, help. I would have loved on the second Sunday of Advent to come and give you a nice feel-good sermon about the sheep, about the angels, (laughs) or about the shepherds, but not this one. But you see, the writers to the lectionary had other ideas, and as I pondered it, I noticed that the Holy Spirit did as well. (laughs) They must have been in cahoots. Because I felt very challenged in my spirit that if I was going to preach the Christmas story, I couldn't preach just one part of it. I had to preach the whole gospel. I think Luke was of the same mind. Because here he is, two chapters into his book, when he's romped through the infancy narrative and he tells us more about it than the other gospel writers, straight into chapter 3 and already he's into the adult John the Baptist ministry. Why? I think because Luke's purpose was to make sure his readers understood how Jesus' life and ministry were part of God's global uh, redemptive purposes for the world. And telling people about John the Baptist was a necessary prerequisite to telling people about Jesus' own ministry. John the Baptist was a scene setter, the one who said, I'm not worthy to untie even the sandal of Jesus' foot. John was the forerunner of Jesus who was to die on a cross for the sins of the world, to rise again on the third day, to ascend to heaven and sit where he sits right now, before the throne of grace, interceding for each and every one of us. So in my sermon sermon preparation, I had to get a hold of getting the bigger picture and not just go for some pretty manger scene that we see on some of our Christmas cards. And would the truth of what happened in the manger be anything like our Christmas cards anyway? What must it have been like in first century Judea to be in a strange town? No room at the inn, no clinical delivery suite with doctors and nurses on hand, probably a bunch of disinterested animals, the chilling cold of a Bethlehem night in winter, and a dirty feeding trough in which to place your newborn. So how do we see the whole picture in our Christmases? Where do we see something different from what is depicted on our Christmas cards or on our Advent calendars. And I'm just going to slip over here because I've brought a book with me today. I don't know if any of you know anything about iconography. The Reverend Dr. Jim Gordon introduced me to this in my last uh, college course at Baptist College. It was a module on Jesus through the centuries and I studied iconography as what I wanted to particularly look at in that course. In iconography, pictures come, they all have a set outline. So if you see a particular picture of the resurrection or a picture of the cross, it will be presented in a set way. And these set ways for iconography are called podlinki. But before I tell you about the podlinki for the nativity icon, let me tell you what an icon is. It's not a picture that reflects its image back to the viewer as you look at it. It's an image that you move through between the spiritual giving you a window into the... Sorry, between the temporal giving you a window into the heavenly realm. And they say that you read an icon, you don't view it. And that's because it's not actually something to please your eyes, it's something to give you a message straight to your heart and your spirit. This is my book on icons. I don't think you're actually probably going to be able to all see it But the covers of the book are actually set in two places where there's a nativity icon depicted, and you're very welcome to come and have a look at these afterwards. But what they will show you is that on a nativity icon, the Podlinki dictate that the crib is depicted as a coffin. The baby is not depicted as a baby. It's depicted as a man, a fully grown man. And the swaddling clothes... Well, I think you've probably guessed, they're not swaddling clothes, they're grave clothes. It's very incongruous to our Western eyes. But actually, it reflects some of the words of William Wordsworth, who said, the child is the father of the man. And this man was the son of God. The one who was born with Calvary in view before the angel Gabriel ever met with Mary. So unlike our Christmas cards, the Padlinky of the nativity icon, correctly reveal the truth of the larger picture, the whole gospel, if you like. Because the truth is, the crib is as inextricably linked to Easter as the cross is part of Jesus' birth. So suitably chastened by myself, I go on with Luke 3, verses 1 to 6. And what I'm going to do now is just present... Just some context for these verses. And then I'm going to provide you with an application for your consideration that weaves alongside them our second reading, which had to do with being Christ's ambassadors in the ministry of reconciliation that the Father has given us. So first, to look on text. Look was nothing if not trying to be accurate. A bit difficult because dates and times were uh, set in different ways in different cultures. But at the start of John 3, he tries to set the timing of John's ministry. So he gives us details of the bigwigs who were in power, most of whom whose names we will recognize. And from this, it can be roughly dated that John's ministry started about the late 20s AD or CE. And that ties in with Jesus' ministry starting when he was about age 30. Luke was doing something else, I think, in telling us about the bigwigs, because he was already telling us that what was going to happen, what was to come, was not going to be something that the bigwigs, the current religious and political powers, were going to think very much of. It wasn't them that were going to be centre stage in what was to happen, because the word of the Lord did not come to them. Instead, it came to an unknown man called John, son of Zechariah the priest in the desert. John's call as a prophet, simply recorded by Luke by saying the word of the Lord came to him, matches the simplicity of the call of some of our Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel. If you read the start of these books, it just says the word of the Lord came to them. Actually, Gabriel, when he came to Zechariah in the temple, told him that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And Zechariah, once his tongue had been loosened, once John's birth came, actually prophesied about his own son, saying, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Then in verse 3, Luke tells us that John's ministry was taking place all around the country in Jordan. A baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins was what he was preaching. He was calling on people to prepare to change their ways, to change their heart and return to God. His form of baptism was just an outward sign that people had made an act of the will in their hearts to do just that. Then lastly, in our text, verses 4 to 6, is Luke anchoring John's ministry in God's global redemptive purposes because he says it's a direct fulfillment of another prophecy, not this time, 30 years previously, the prophecy given by his father when he was born, but a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. I'm going to read it to you now. It's Isaiah 40, 3 to 5, and you'll see how similar it is to what has already been read to us from Luke. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Undoubtedly, John's calling was to be a signpost to his generation at a crucial point in salvation history. A signpost who pointed out the people's need to change from their ways and be prepared for the one who was to come after him. But we are not John. We live in a very different time called to bear witness to Jesus Christ in a very different generation. So how do we apply John's story to our here and now of today, the UK, 21st century? How can we receive the message of John's life? How can we today this Christmas time prepare to change? I thought at this time I would relate to you a recent experience I had. I It's not an unusual experience, I think it happens every morning and maybe you've had this experience as well, but on this occasion, it was very different for me. I had the privilege, or maybe it wasn't the privilege, of flying jet to, you know, cattle class to Luton Airport for a meeting in London. Early start, up at 4.15, flight due to depart 6.40. It was dark when we took off and... I just got a book out to read because my neighbour in the next seat did the usual businessman's bit you get the briefcase you sling it in the overhead locker you slam the door you get in the seat stick your legs out shut your eyes and you indicate to all the world you're not saying good morning you're still sleeping so communicating with me was not on this guy's agenda so I settled down to read but reading was not in God's agenda for me because I started to look out the window it was pitch black and then it became a murky grey. And then a little light shone through the murky grey and it became insipid yellow. I started to be intrigued and watched as the grey clouds slowly disappeared and we ended up with some nice white fluffy stuff underneath us. And we came out into an expanse of watery light. Then slowly, ever so slowly, I watched the most beautiful cosmic painting emerge in the sky. There was every colour, from delicate peach through to bright orange, from pale lilac right through to purple. And then the blue sky started round the edges, and suddenly the plane must have been on the approach to Luton Airport because it banked and must have turned eastwards and turned full into the rising sun. And it was just the most amazing sight. The brightness of the sun was literally, seemed to me, to be pulsating out its light. Pulsing its message of brightness. And it made me think of Advent. And how it's all about light coming into the world. In spiritual terms, Advent can creep up on us slowly. But the light does dawn, doesn't it, on our spirits afresh that it's all about Jesus who is our risen Lord, the light of the world. It's so easy for the Christmas festivities, the turkey, well, not turkey for me, I'm veggie, the turkey and the tinsel, the presents and the parties to become cloud cover for what Christmas really means. Because what it means for us You and I, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal saviour, it means we have been given something infinitely precious. Our spiritual eyes have been opened. We've been given life and a knowledge of the light that is the light of the world. I don't know if you know Psalm 36 verse 9. It's one of my very, very favourite parts of a psalm when it says that in his light we see light. Because of this gift that we have received, Paul says that we're a new creation. We're fully alive, no longer spiritually dead, but like my companion in the plane and his attitude towards the rising sun and his non-appreciation of this cosmic painting. We're alive. We're in Christ, part of his body, a body that is functioning on earth in our generation John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit on him from birth, we're told. And he had a calling. But actually, you and I are no different. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Saviour, we've been given the Holy Spirit as our helper. And we're called. We're called to participate as Christ's ambassadors in his Father's ministry of reconciliation to the world, of the world to himself in Christ. Wow. Hearing that truth, does it not encourage us to prepare to change, to prepare to change the way we live? Yes, we likely all live as godly lives as we can, but the religious desert in which we now seem to live today here in our culture in the 21st century can cause us to be disheartened, to have an inward looking, breast beating, ghetto like mentality towards our faith. And maybe we need to grasp afresh this morning that it's the God of the cosmos who paints the dawn in our skies every single day is bigger than what we think is the desert that's round about us at ground level. The truth is that it's this God of the cosmos who made the light of his sun to shine in our hearts. We just have to flip back one page to 2 Corinthians 4. And here Paul saying at verse 6, For God who said "Light, light shine out of the darkness made his light in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You and I carry this light even though it sometimes doesn't feel like it. Paul kind of knew that we would feel feeble sometimes because he goes on to say this at verses 7 to 9. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but we're not abandoned, struck down, but we're sure not destroyed. We may be jars of clay, we are, we're human. And we likely feel weak and daunted at the thought of evangelizing with our very lives, even if not with words. I think it was Augustine, and I'm not going to have a direct quote here, I'm just paraphrasing from my memory. I think it was him that said, evangelize always, and when necessary, use words. But God is the God of the impossible, and it's in our weakness that his strength is revealed Maybe the call to us this Christmas time is that we prepare ourselves to change, fix our eyes more firmly on Jesus and less on the desert we see around us, and with confidence that comes from our faith in the one we serve, rather than in our own strengths, become more like John by our lives revealing the whole gospel and more and more becoming signposts that point the way for our generation to find God. Through Jesus. Amen. I'm now going to lead us all in our prayers of concern for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that to come before you and stand in the gap between others and your throne of grace is the most enormous privilege that comes to us because you've given your Son... That we ourselves might be spiritually alive and in relationship with you. And so this morning, our thoughts go in many directions across the world. We pray for aid to come quickly to the Syrian refugees who are camped in the cold across the border in Turkey. Lord, bring peace to their homeland. And by your Holy Spirit, we specially plead that no party to the civil war raging in Syria would be tempted to use chemical weapons in Gaza we ask for a lasting peace to be brokered between the Palestinian people and the Israeli people Lord may cool heads dampen plans on either side to carry out acts of provocation and may a way be found for all peoples there regardless of their ethnicity to be able to live in peace without fear of violence For Egypt, we ask for a fair democratic and constitutional solution to be found and for the just rule of government to be established without any further violence. And Father, we ask for the peace process not to be derailed by the issue of the flag that has arisen over the last week in Northern Ireland. Father, may peace prevail very quickly and may there be no more escalation of violent reactions such as we've just seen on our screens. We pray particularly this morning for the family of Jacintha Salhandra, who it appears took her own life a few days ago. Be with her family in their time of deep grief and loss, and be with all others involved as they seek to come to terms with that particular tragedy. Father, for any of our number here this morning whose home or relatives are somewhere overseas where there is social or political unrest or even war, we ask you to be with them, supporting them and all they love, keeping them safe and bringing peace to their nation. And finally, we pray for ourselves and our family and friends and also our fellow members here at Hillhead Baptist Church who may be sick or otherwise unable to be here this morning. We also pray for others known to us personally who we name in our hearts in the silence now. May we all and they all know your joy and peace at this Advent season. Where there is any need for your healing touch or your provision in some other way, we ask, dear Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit that need would be met. And may we all sense your presence in our lives in a renewed way. For we ask these things in the name of the precious Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest and remain with each and every one of us now and forevermore.